All right. Well, good morning. I'm going to settle everybody down. Well, good morning. Welcome to New Life Church. Uh, we're going to uh, be reading from Genesis chapter 3, the whole chapter. Uh, so I've asked my son, Jack, to read this for you. So. Genesis chapter 3, verse 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it. And she, was, she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard that the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I hid, and I was afraid, because I was naked. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for him, his wife, garments of skinned, skins and clothes and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out and take his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. 
That's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jack. Can I give a shameless plug a little bit? So uh, uh, this will be an opportunity for you in Gehanna to maybe share your faith in a different way. So my son's in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, happening at Gehanna, uh, November 7th through the 9th. So, um, so anyway, that'd be an opportunity to bring somebody to that. And then afterwards, talk about it with them. Um, it's, it's, I think it's great that they're doing that. So, so anyway, a little shameless plug for that. All right. Hope you've had your coffee. A few of you have. All right. So if you haven't already, take your sermon notes out of the worship folder and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. All right. So the past couple weeks, we've been talking about creation, and uh, we've been talking about what God created and why he created it, what it was created for, and what God's purposes were in creating all of the things that he created. So he created in six days, and he said that all of his creation was what? Good. All of his creation was good, and he created Adam, and he plopped him down in the garden. And in Genesis 2, 15 through 17, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. I heard a pastor once say to a bunch of young men, remember young men, before Adam had a wife, he had a job. It's a good thing to remember. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And I think it's interesting. So God created Adam first. He gave him uh, the first command. He gave him work. Work came before the fall, before sin. But then God realized something. He realized something about his creation was not good. There's another verse. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God created Eve. He created woman. And then he declared his creation to be what? Very good. So ladies, you made God's creation very good. It's kind of cool. We don't always think about that, but it's a pretty good thing to think about. So God declared his creation very good, and then we get to the end of chapter 2, and it says that the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And then in verse, chap, verse 1 of chapter 3, things change. Says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So we're introduced here to a new character, a talking serpent, a talking snake. And plenty of us Christians have taken a little heat over a talking snake, right? It's a little weird. So and this brings up a lot of questions, questions we don't have time to answer. There's a lot of questions in Genesis 3 we don't have time to answer. Like, why in the world didn't Adam and Eve freak out at an animal talking to them? Maybe that was normal. Maybe C.S. Lewis has it right. You never know. So that's one thing. What about the talking snake? How did this snake talk? Okay, maybe it was normal for snakes to talk, but this snake began to tempt Eve. So, for the sake of time, I'm going to tell you where I land, okay? 
We know that the snake, it says, was a created beast of the field. So it's, it's, it was an actual animal God created. But I also believe that maybe the snake allowed Satan to enter into him and speak through him. Okay? If we had time to go from Genesis to Revelation, we'd find in the end of Revelation, chapter 12 and chapter 20, it says that Satan, the devil who was known as the dragon, the ancient serpent, who was the deceiver and tempter of the whole world. So that stuck with him for a really long time. So we're going to refer to the serpent as Satan. And we're going to look at nine truths from Genesis chapter 3. Truth number one, God's people are tempted to defy God's word. Adam and Eve at that point were God's people, and he knew that they were going to be tempted. It's another kind of strange question. If God knew that, what did he do about it? We'll see what he did about it. But God's people are tempted to defy God's word, aren't we? We all are, all the time. But the question is, how are we tempted? How did Satan tempt Eve, and how does he tempt us? It's the same. The first thing is by the influence of our enemy. We have to realize we have an enemy. Satan's called the, the God of this world in the Bible. So we've got to realize we have an enemy out there who doesn't want us to obey God's word. We have an enemy out there who has other helpers. We would call them demons, fallen angels. Another question, when did that happen? How did that happen? Don't have time for that. But we have an enemy. And he's real. He's out there. We have a spiritual battle that is going on for all of us who are believers. The next way we're tempted is when we question or twist God's words. When we question or twist God's words. So he says, did God actually say? And I think a lot of times this is when our temptation begins is we think, well, did God really say that I shouldn't do that? And then he says, you shall not. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So we twist it a little bit. The, the tempter, Satan, twists, his, twists God's words a little bit to make us kind of question God's word. That's what happens. We question and twist God's words. Now, when Satan said to them, when he said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The you there, Y-O-U, is plural. It should have been, did God actually say y'all shouldn't eat? Of, so it's plural, which indicates that possibly and probably Adam was with her. So he wasn't just speaking to Eve. So we're tempted when we realize, we have to realize that there's an enemy out there and that he wants to influence us. We're tempted when we question or twist God's words. And the next one, we're tempted when we're not crystal clear on God's words. In verse 2 and 3, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of any fruit. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So, when we're not crystal clear on God's words. Now, this is my own speculation, but I'm, I'm, I think this is maybe how it happened. 
God never gave the command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to Eve. He gave the command to Adam. And it was Adam's responsibility to transfer that, God's word, to Eve. So maybe there was a day where Adam was like, oh, Eve, come here. Got to tell you something. See that tree over there in the middle of the garden? Yeah? Well, don't, don't eat from it. Don't even go near it. Don't even touch it or you'll die. Because we got to think about where, did, where in the world did she get those words? It could have been what happened. But we know that's what she said. But she wasn't crystal clear on God's words. In Psalm 119, 9 and 11, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. And it says, I've hidden God's word in my heart that I might not sin against God. So the only way we're going to overcome temptation is sin, and sin is when we have God's word in us so that we can speak it. The truth. We can speak the truth instead of the twisting lies of the enemy. The next way we're tempted is when the payoff for sin seems more enticing than simple obedience. The payoff for sin seems more enticing. We can't lie to ourselves and, and say, well, sin is, it never feels good. There's never a payoff for it. It never seems to benefit me. That'd be a lie because sin at times does feel good. Sometimes it does seem like it benefits us. But we're tempted with those things when that payoff for that sin seems better than simple obedience. The serpent said, you will not surely die with a chuckle, I think. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And guess what? Our enemy can even tell a little bit of the truth. And right here, he was telling the truth. We know how the story goes. Adam and Eve did sin. And after that, in verse 22 of chapter 3, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So even our enemy can tempt us with a little bit of the truth to entice us to sin. So sometimes that payoff can seem very worthwhile. And that's what happened to Eve. I want to remind you, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So God knew they were going to be tempted, but God knew he would provide a way of escape. But we've got to take the way of escape in order to overcome the temptation. What was the way of escape? Well, maybe Adam could have grabbed the snake by the neck and said, get out of here. Maybe Eve could have said, hey, honey, what did you tell me about the tree? Because I'm not quite sure. They both could have gone to God and said, hey, God, there's this serpent thing talking to us. He's saying something about a tree. We know you said something about a tree. What would you say about the tree? But guess what? They didn't take that way of escape. They could have said, no, thank you, as well. They could have said, no, I don't want any of that tree. We have everything we need here in the garden. So no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. Don't think that your temptation, that you are the only one dealing with that temptation because you're not. 
There's many, many, many people dealing with the same thing. Truth number two, our desires deceive us. In verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So what's happening now is the serpent was tempting Eve outside of her, and now it says, when the woman saw, when she realized, when it wasn't just outside of her anymore, internally the temptations got to her heart and to her mind. So when she saw that it was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was good for making you wise, she took some and ate. This is, this is an example of James 1.14. This is all of us. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by our own desires. I want to remind us of something. Satan is not omnipresent. So if 10,000 people are being tempted to sin, they cannot say, the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do it. The devil tempted you to do it. But he didn't make you. We make the choice to sin. And Eve's struggle here is exactly what the Apostle John said in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here is everything in the world. Here are the only three ways that we are tempted. This is it. The desires, or a lot of us know the lust, the desires of the flesh, the desires or the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of those that are in the world is is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the desires of the flesh, she was hungry. She saw that the tree was good for food. The lusts of her eyes or the desires of her eyes. She saw that the the tree was beautiful. When we see something that looks good, what it does is it enhances the desires of our flesh. And then when she saw that it was good for making someone wise, she took of it and ate. So the pride of life or the pride of possessions, it's where we say, look at me now. Look at what I've got. Look, look what I've achieved. Tell me how good I am. I could be like God, she thought. And we all have this. I, I have this, okay? I, I struggle if I go to Massey's Pizza Buffet. Love pizza. And I walk in there with the pride of life, like they're going to regret charging me eight fifty, okay, or whatever it is. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them regret that. And so what do you do? You walk in, there's salad, there's pizza, there's little ham sandwiches that are hot, there's pasta, and you walk in there, and you're like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kill this buffet. It's going to be great. And you see it, and you're, you get more hungry. Okay, right? Mouth waters, smell it so good. And then you eat it, and you eat all the pizza you can. It's kind of like a while back when CeCe's was around. Okay. Teenage boys, uh, at least in the youth group here, they would see how many pieces they could eat and then stack the crusts up. And I mean, they would get like, it was crazy. And then once you're done eating pizza, 
what happens is everyone sits there and they're looking for something. They're looking for the guy bringing out the cinnamon dessert pizza. In everyone's eyes, you can go there and you can watch it. Everyone's looking for, and when he goes, people are watching. And usually two parents like me will send one of their kids and be like, go get like half of that cinnamon pizza because we all need a piece, honey. And so two kids will like split the whole pizza and then it's, there's no more. And then you got to wait for the next one. And Massey's, they know it. They only make one at a time. And it's not that big. They're not stupid. So that's what, that's what happens to all of us. And then we're done. We're like, yes, I have eaten, right? And I'm never going to eat there again, but then we do. <laughs> the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and our pride of life. And then she gave some to Adam who was with her. His desire, which we'll learn from God later on, was most likely to please his wife. Now, it's not that he was pleasing his wife. It was that he was pleasing his wife because of what she said instead of what God said. When we try to please someone else and it defies God's word, it's not going to go very good for us. There's nothing wrong with pleasing our wife. There's nothing wrong with pleasing our husband. But when it comes to disobeying God, that's when there's going to be problems. Truth number three, our sin leaves us naked and afraid. Genesis 3, 7 says, Then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So their eyes were opened, like the serpent said. Their eyes were opened to a new way of living, a new way of doing things, new way of thinking, new way of feeling, but that new way of life with, was mixed with death. The new way of doing things was now doing it not to honor their creator, but it was to honor and obey themselves. It was selfish. And their new way of feeling was not the end of Genesis 2 where they were naked and felt no shame. It was now they were naked and they felt shame. They felt guilt. That's what sin does to us. It brings death and shame and guilt. And we know it when we sin. Usually we know who we sinned against. For those of us who are believers, we know we've sinned against God. We know we've sinned against someone else. And we begin to feel shame and guilt, and I get stomach aches. You could call my mother right now and say, what happens to Brett when you do something wrong? She'd be like, he gets a stomach ache. That's what happens. They knew they were naked. They knew they were missing something they once had. And I think what they were missing was the covering and the protection of knowing they're obeying and pleasing God. When we sin against someone and we've done something they've told us not to do, then we feel exposed a little bit. And we don't want to be around the, those people. It's like our kids when they sin. Or all those videos we watch of people posting like when they come home and their dog has torn up the couch and the dog's like, right? And what they do, they tried to cover themselves. They tried to cover their shame instead of going directly to God. They could have gone to God and said, God, we screwed up. What do we do now? But they didn't do that. And that's what we do. We, we don't cover ourselves up with leaves. What do we do? We cover ourselves up with excuses, with lies. We twist our own words to make things sound better, like we really didn't do something wrong. 
And then truth number four, our sin causes us to hide. That's the next thing we do. We come up with the excuses and then we hide. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now we know that God knows, knew those things. He knew where they were. He knew why they were hiding. But I think God wants to hear from us what sin we have committed. Not just a general in the morning, God, I've sinned today or in the, at the nighttime. God, I had a rough day. Just forgive me for all that stuff. I think he wants to hear specifically. And I think as people, we want to hear from other people specifically what you have done wrong. If you've sinned against me, I want to hear what you've done. And I think that's why God was asking him. He was giving him a chance. But he didn't tell the whole truth. Adam says, well, because I was naked, you know, I was afraid, and I hid myself. But he didn't say I did something wrong. I hid myself because I felt shame. When we sin, we hide from authority is what we do. When we have a pattern of sin, we, we, we kind of back away from small group, back away from church, back away from the church people, because in some way we feel accountable to them. That's what sin does. It causes us to hide. And notice God speaks to the man. Remember, God gave the command to the man, and he screwed it up with his wife. Now he's saying, hey, Adam, what's, what's happening? What's going on? In truth number five, our sin causes us to shift the blame. The man said, well, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. See, God? Like, look at her. Wouldn't you eat it too? But God's like, no. We shift the blame. That's what we do. I teach middle schoolers here a lot. They're not here right now. But we all know what they do. When I say, hey, you need to be quiet, they're like, I what? It's, it's like immediate, like every time. Immediately, that's what our heart wants to do, is shift the blame to somebody else. We live in a world where we don't take, we don't take responsibility for what we've done. Nobody made you do it. You made a choice. And then the woman, God said to the woman, what, what is this you've done? Like, tell me. Gave her a chance. What would she say? Well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate that sneaky fella. You know? So the man blames the woman. Man blames God. Woman blames the serpent. No one repented and took responsibility. So truth number six our sin has consequences. This is where we, we talk about the fall, the curse of sin. The first consequence was for animals. The Lord God, in verse 14, said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So I was studying this this past week, and then last night at the Saturday little service in the chapel we have, a guy came up to me and he said, I worked with snakes for 15 years. I'm like, 
okay? And he said, guess what? They have, he's like, all snakes, big and small snakes, they have little things that they found x-raying them that look like they should have had legs. So this guy confirmed with me after 15 years of working with snakes that somehow, some reason, snakes don't have legs anymore. Why would God say, on your belly you shall go? Why would that be a curse if the snake was already on his belly? He'd be like, big deal. So I think the snake maybe had some legs. It was crawling around on a tree. Kind of weird. Anyway. And dust you shall eat all your life. We know that snakes don't just eat dust, but when they're on their belly and their tongue goes out and out, you know, they're eating a lot of dust. And then he says in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So if we see a snake, what do we want to do? We want, well, we want to jump. But like if we're brave, we want to like stomp on it. And what do you want to do? You want to cut off the head of the snake, right? Or stomp the head of the snake. So imagine stomping the head of a snake. You're going to do a little more than bruise the snake's head. Probably kill it. And you, your heel will be hurt a little bit. But guess what? In this verse, the word offspring is singular. And if, again, if we had time to go throughout the whole Bible, we would realize that a singular offspring is very important. An offspring of Eve was going to hurt the snake pretty bad. And we know that down the line, it says that Jesus put Satan to open shame on the cross. So we could even look at Genesis chapter 4, when Eve has Cain, she thinks, finally God has given me a man to harm the serpent. But it wasn't Cain. So the, this is a lot of uh, theologians say this is the first glimpse of the gospel where we're being told that an offspring of Eve is going to kill the snake going to hurt the snake pretty bad. But he's going to get harmed too. We know that Jesus did die on the cross because of sin. But this is the first time we've, we see the gospel. The next consequence was for women and their closest relationships. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So what does this mean? If we, if we could look at the original Hebrew, it says that he, God will multiply your sorrow and your pregnancies, which is interesting. What does that mean? Well, uh, we know that woman, most women monthly have a time where they could get pregnant. Maybe before the fall, if they were going to live forever— Maybe she wasn't scheduled to get pregnant every month. But he said, I'm going to multiply your sorrow and your pregnancies. And then he says it again, in pain you will bring forth children. So even the process of not just physically having children is going to be painful, but having children and growing them up is going to be painful. All of us who are parents recognize how painful sometimes it is to be a parent. And all of us were kids, and we caused some pain to our parents. 
And I think from my short history, moms are a little more hurt by their children than dad. That's part of the curse. He's going to increase the woman's sorrow when it comes to her children. Even to this day, I'm almost 41, I can grieve my mom deeply. Deeply. And I can know it. Sometimes my dad's like, ah, that's fine, right? Moms are deeply sorrowed, deeply sorrowed. But this consequence, the curse, can be softened a bit. It's not going to be eliminated yet, but it can be softened by a couple things. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We hopefully, it's not perfect, doesn't always work, but soften the curse just a little bit when we're bringing our kids up in the Lord. Because then maybe the second way it's softened a bit is when our kids decide to honor and obey their parents in the Lord. That's in the same chapter, a few verses right before, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. So the curse can be softened when we're teaching our kids. The curse can be softened when our kids are in the Lord and they decide to obey and honor us. And the the consequence is softened for the woman a bit from 1 Timothy 2, 13 through 15. And this is a, sometimes an often misunderstood verse. But hopefully we'll figure it out a little bit. It says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. This does not mean she will gain salvation because she has kids. She'll be saved through childbearing, like through it. Through that painful, sorrowful childbearing and raising her kids, how will she be saved? If they, now that's talking about women. We'd have to look at a few verses before this, but trust me. If women, moms, continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. Moms, aren't you at times tempted to lose your self-control with your kids? Dads, (laughs) us too. But the curse can be softened a bit. When the curse hits us hard and we're tempted to not continue in faith and say, God, how could you let this happen to my kids? Forget you. That's not helpful. That doesn't soften the curse, that makes the serpent happy. Continue in love and holiness with self-control. So we can't eliminate the curse till, till Christ comes back, but we can soften it a little bit. Then it says, her desire will be contrary, and it depends on your translation. It might say for or against. But it says, her desire will be, her desire will be contrary to her husband. Uh, now, we've got to figure out what that means. All right, so up here on the screen, there is a, a verse in Genesis 4, 7, where God is speaking to Cain. So we know Cain killed Abel, right? And, but before that, Cain and Abel both gave God a sacrifice. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's sacrifice was not accepted. And God came up to him and warned him about something. He said, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. 
that last line there is exactly the same words in Hebrew as Genesis 3.16. And the word uh, desire happens only three times in the Bible, and these are two of them. And if we're interpreting the Bible, the best interpreter of the Bible is not me, it's the Bible. Okay? So if we wanted to know what does this mean, we would look at the same book by the same author within a few verses of each other, what does it mean? Okay? So if sin is crouching at the door, that's not a good thing, is it? It's like ready to pounce. Its desire is contrary to you, or it's against you. Okay? We would never say that sin is for us. But you must rule over it, God told him. So, he says to the woman, your desire shall be against your husband, but he shall rule over you. Remember, this is part of the curse. This is the beginning of the battle of the sexes, as we would say. This is the, where the desire to have control, to wear the pants in the family, to be in charge of, to, well, go ask your mother, or go ask your father. This is not the original design, but this is what happened. This is part of the curse. The original design wasn't harsh rule by men, and it wasn't a woman having a desire against her husband. I think the original design was this. We got to think of Adam created first. The original design was that God gave Adam life, God gave Adam work, God gave Adam his word. And then he said, you know what? It's not good that he has all of those things alone. So God created woman, made creation very good because she would make his life better, his work more enjoyable, and God's word to be better fulfilled and God's word better spread. Adam messed that up. He needed some help. And then God said to them, go multiply and fill the earth with little, little babies that what? That they live and they work and they know God's word and obey him. So, the curse affected quite a bit. The next thing is that the consequence of this curse can be softened a bit. We don't have time to go through it, but Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do if you're a married couple. Read this together, study this together, talk about this together with the mindset of, you know what? We realize the curse is there. I think we all who are married, we know that part of the curse that I was talking about happens all the time in marriage. But it can be softened just a little bit from Ephesians 5. The next curse was on the earth and the men who work it. To Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground, cursed is the earth because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring, uh, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and for dust, and you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife. He's not saying it's wrong to listen to the voice of your wife, but it's wrong to listen to the voice of your wife or anyone when it's contrary to Scripture. And then what? 
Well, the ground was cursed, and his work that was supposed to be enjoyable, his work is now working against him. And it's going to be painful. It's going to bring sweat and tears and heartache. It's going to be very difficult. When it should have been a joyful thing that Adam was doing right alongside God, right alongside of his wife. So the work was cursed. And then God said, from dust you came and to dust you'll return. He pronounced death on Adam. So Adam was probably terrified. That's what I would have thought. He'd be terrified because he thought he was going to probably live forever. But now God says, you know that dust I showed you the other day that I created you from? Guess what? You're going to be right back in there. Truth number seven, God's love and care for sinners is shown through sacrifice. In verse 20, it says that the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So God made a better covering. He could have said, those are some great leaves you used right there. But he didn't. He said, you know what? You need something better than that. And in order to have something better than what you think you need, I have to sacrifice a few animals. I have to make a sacrifice. I have to shed some blood in order for your shame and your sin and your guilt to be covered correctly. So God's love and care for sinners is shown through sacrifice. And also, notice, I don't think Adam and Eve went up to God and said, hey, you know, we need some better clothes. This is God seeking them out. What did Jesus say? I, I seek and save those who are lost. I think God came to them and said, I've sacrificed an animal in order to cover you, cover you better than you've covered yourselves. Because the way we try to cover ourselves doesn't work. And we know the leaves that they used probably would have withered away. And that's what happens when we try to do things on our own and we try to cover our sin on our own. Truth number eight, sin separates us from eternal life. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. That means that they now had an intimate knowledge of what good and evil are all about. They knew they could disobey God. But until they did it, they didn't know what it was like. So now they have, they have an understanding of good and evil that they didn't before. Now lest he reach out his hand and, also, and take also of the tree of life and eat forever. And that quote isn't continued because I think God knew what he had to do immediately because I wonder if Adam and Eve were running for the tree of life. I would have. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim, an angel, and a flaming sword that turned in every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Notice it's not guarding the tree of life, it's guarding the way to, to the tree of life. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, and that's what they are experiencing. And we know but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So truth number nine, it's not really a truth that's stated in Genesis, but Jesus is a better. Jesus is a better, he's a better Eve. Just like Eve was tempted by Satan, so was Jesus. But he knew God's word perfectly. Remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil? 
knew God's word in order to overcome temptation. And interestingly enough, he used Deuteronomy chapter 8. Might be worth reading if that's the chapter Jesus used. He also was tempted in the garden before death came to him, just like Eve. But he spent the time talking to God the Father and saying, not my will, but yours be done. He's a better Eve. He's a better Adam. Romans 5.17 says, For if because of one man's trespass, Adam, because of that, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We don't want to continue to live in Adam and say, well, it's part of the curse. I'm going to screw up and I'm going to screw up again. Never going to get better. Well, you're not going to get better without Christ. Righteousness reigns in our life through the one man, Jesus Christ, just as sin reigns in our life because of the one man, Adam. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Next, he's a better sacrifice. He's a better sacrifice than the animal that had to be killed to cover Adam and Eve because that only temporarily covered their shame and their guilt and their sin. And it covered their bodies. In Hebrews 9.26, it says, But as it is, he has appeared, Christ has appeared once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The sacrifice of Christ got rid of sin. And it one day is going to get rid of sin. So he's a better sacrifice. The next one, he's a better covering for our sin. All who trust in Jesus are clothed in salvation and righteousness. In Isaiah 61, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. When we put our faith in Jesus, it's like he covers us with righteousness and salvation, and that's how God sees us now. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's only in Christ that we are the righteousness of God. That verse is called the great exchange, where God exchanges our sin for his righteousness. The next one, he's a better way to eternal life. Think about Adam and Eve. Remember that the angel and the flaming sword guarded the way to the tree of life. And if they would have tried to run to it, that wouldn't have gone so well. So he's not just a better way to eternal life. He's the only way to eternal life. We could even read in Revelation where it says that from him is flowing this spring of life, and on either side is the tree of life. From the Lamb. From the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've already read this, but Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one has eternal life except through Christ, through the shed blood of Christ on the cross. In John 3.16, we know, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. Jesus is better than Eve, better than Adam, better than Satan, better than sacrifice of an animal because he is the only one that can take away our sin 
And so what I would, I would ask us all is, do you believe that? Because there is no other way to eternal life than through Christ. So today, when the prayer partners come up, um, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, if you haven't gotten your sin covered and your shame taken away and your guilt taken away by Christ, if you haven't been clothed in righteousness and salvation through Christ, through your faith in him, today's the day. There's another verse that says today is the day of salvation. But for the rest of us who are believers, we need to recognize how we're tempted. We need to recognize what we're tempted with, what we're tempted by, what part of God's word are we twisting, and what part of God's word do we need to be a little more clear on. When was the last time you hid, hid God's word in your heart? I know I need to do that more. So for those of us who do know Christ, we've got we've to remember the sacrifice that he's, he's given for us. And so we do that uh, through communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to uh, partake of communion today. We're going to, uh, the ushers are going to pass the plates. And we know that Jesus said that the bread is his body, which is broken for you. And the wine or the juice is his blood that was shed for you. And he said, do it in remembrance of me. Well, this is what we're remembering. We're remembering the sacrifice that was better than any other sacrifice in the Bible. We also know that we're told that we need to uh, take communion in a worthy way. In a way that um, where we have confessed sin to God in a way that isn't taking it lightly, in a way that uh, is recognizing Christ. It's not recognizing ourselves. It's not being prideful. It's just taking it with a clean heart and a clean mind before the Lord. So I would ask you, as they're going to come forward, um, and the worship team is going to come up, and I think and do a, a song or two, um, I would ask that as it's being passed, that as you take it, you think about Christ's blood and his body. That was shed for you, and you can take it when you feel like you're ready to take it. Okay? So I want you to think about the temptations you're dealing with. I want you to think about the sin that you've committed recently and confess that to God and ask him for help. Ask him for his word to flood your mind so you can overcome that temptation that just gets you every time. And I know if you're part of a small group here, you're going to talk about in your small group this week um, about temptation. And what, what scripture do we need in order to overcome that? So ushers, you can come, go ahead and come forward, and they're going to go ahead and pass that out. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your shed blood and your shed body for us on the cross. Lord, we thank you that it's a perfect sacrifice. And we thank you that we can overcome temptation by your word and through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we take communion today that we'll be reminded of those things.